Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Right on, you're right on time. I feel, I feel so late, and I'm not that late. I've never sat on this side before either. I, I asked on this side because I'm like Mariah Carey. I'm like, this yeah. is my better angle. I don't, I don't know which my better angle is. I guess I could investigate it. I feel like I've done so much TV, blah, blah, blah. From now, I'm like, yeah. okay, that's my better side. And I've just convinced myself that that's the truth, and it's that's not. That's fine. Listen, the but, customer's always right. So This side works. Sometimes. That side's better for crossing your leg. This is an unnatural cross. Mm, but now I could see you better. Is it better? I mean, you're that looking right at me. Okay. Oh, yeah. Got, Mateo's got to turn if I ask him a question. Mateo so. Lane, right? Yeah. The that's great like, Mateo Lane. The great Mateo Lane is here. Episode... Yeah. 110. 110. 110. Boom. Wow. Honor to have you as 110. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> we, coming. We thanks tried to get me. you for 100, but you weren't available. Sorry. Was that right? No. no. Uh. <laughs> I would have him for He's big enough for 100. Sure. <laughs> Who do we have? Mick Rock? Mick Rock for 100. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mostly interview musicians? That's what it started out like. But uh, I, I want to kind of interview, interview people like that are experts at narcissistic personality disorder and health experts and stuff like that. Narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, that's why when I first thought about starting the podcast, I wanted it to be about narcissistic personality disorder recovery. Recovery? Like an AA? <laughs> like yeah. it's something they work at every day to not, what, not look in a mirror? What? I don't know. That's what got me into YouTube, and then that's what got me into podcasts. I was like researching a lot of that kind of stuff. Were you the, dealing with it with yourself yeah, or with someone in your life? I was dealing with... Uh, both. Both, yeah. All someone of in his life and himself. Yeah. But I that, think we're all narcissistic to a certain extent yeah i mean especially in this business i mean true. in a way you have to be just not in a i mean you're your own you have to promote yourself or yeah <laughs> you better think you're great or who, yeah. how are you gonna pay rent <laughs> it's, it's kind of a crazy business to be in to be trying both be humble and also be like but i'm great yeah well mpd narcissistic personality disorders more like people that actively try to hurt hurt other people to get supply or energy from them or something like that got it it's a form yeah, of it, I mean, like a dementor that, that word means so many different things like it means what you say what you're thinking it means like but that's not the kind of that could be construed as healthy narcissism what you're talking about sure like like or just you know to like bolster yourself up and have a life purpose and a mission and feel like you matter and that you can give to others and also attract abundance. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, that, maybe that's not narcissism, but yeah, I just think in this industry, it just comes out. I yeah. mean, you know, and social media makes it even more. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't really know what narcissistic personality disorders. I'm not trying to harm anybody or yeah. take anything from anybody. I think that's yeah. no, a completely different thing. That's a pretty wild thing. Mm. That's when somebody builds like a false persona 
and then that false persona needs to deflate others to like feel good about itself. I don't know. That's but not why we have you. That on. is not why we. <laughs> just, I'm just giving you. I'm just, I'm just giving you. The, I mean, I've known people in yeah. my life who do that. Is right. that narcissism this is or your is intervention, that? Mateo. But is that narcissism or is that jealousy? Like you know, I've had yeah. I've had friends who I felt. Uh, ha- there's always some kind of competitive. There's friendly competitiveness and just competitiveness in general if you're mm-hmm. doing the same yeah. thing and then one person rises and one person you know it's always this you're never yeah. no person just unless you're madonna no person just rises up and, and then going. no one follows i mean there's <laughs> right. always like an up and down you can feel tension with friends or they're distancing themselves or you know and you can feel whether it's jealousy and i felt that too mm-hmm. unrationalized you know it's like uh, the there's yeah. no reason for me to feel jealousy towards somebody else. It's like, oh, we're just doing... It's hard to remember you're doing different things, and there's room for everybody, right? especially with the internet. That's true. But it feels so isolated and smaller when you're just on your phone, and you've picked all the things that you want to view, and then those things become your worldview, and it's not really a good view of the world. <laughs> it's not realistic. Yeah. And so yeah. you start to become jealous of people for no reason, so... Maybe it's all back to the phone. The phone is bad. I think the phone is yeah. I'm I'm realizing I have a negative addiction to my phone. No. I know I know that seems like such an obvious thing to say. I think we all do. But lately, I'm like going like, man, I gotta like, I gotta read a book. This is like, this is insane. You can audio book it. You know? Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's what I mean. Your phone has made it so it's like, I, I want to read a book. I'll read it on my phone. Right. Or I wanna, you know. I've been like sinking into video games because of quarantine. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could not leave your home. You, I wasn't on tour. I wasn't right. allowed to go to the gym. I, you, I was living. I couldn't do anything. So my friends and I got addicted to Fortnite because it was a way for us to hang out all day. And right. there's a common goal. You get better and you're beating somebody into comic goal. And then I just fell in love with the game. And so now, because I'm not really doing shows anymore, yeah. uh, at night, instead of getting ready and doing shows and writing material, I put on my headset and get ready to fight. <laughs> Fortnite, is that like battles? It's a type? shooter game. Yeah, shoot. yeah. Well, it's like... It's <laughs> more, That's what it, I did for... March, April, May is I was on the PS4 24-7. Of course. It was amazing because I could never do that. Right. You, a lot, you he- indulged. Heaven. Heaven. I think Fortnite is more than just a shooting game. I'm, I really sound crazy right now. But it's like it, it requires you. There's building aspects to it. So uh, you can build. Like and Minecraft you can fi- or something. It's a mix of Minecraft, Call of Duty. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting game. It's a little more like playing chess than just running and gunning i mean you have to be you have to just be more strategic about did you learn things like saying running and gunning from playing fortnite of course (laughs) yeah like i've never heard anyone say running and gunning with that kind of (laughs) with that kind of confidence like you were just like running and gunning this is what i do i run and gun that's what (laughs) jordan temple who's a uh, or um jordan rock i love jordan temple jordan rock who's a really good comedian uh, him and I play a lot together with Yamanika Saunders, Drain Fowler. There's a bunch of Louis Gomez. Like, there's mm. a bunch of comics that play. And Jordan Gotta Rock is the on first one game. to say run and gun. Because uh. I like to build. He's like, fuck it. I like to run and gun. Mm. I'm like, okay. So then I yeah. just learned it from him. That's a good metaphor for life. You need to build and run and gun. Yeah, it in is ev- kind of. Yeah, every aspect of your life. <laughs> you got to know when to run and gun and know when to build. A That's little true. Fortnite ignorance. It's 100 players in a game. It's not just you guys, right? That's right. right so There's like an island. There's kids like 
10 year olds fighting you guys and whatnot kids and adults this is where they meet in the middle and they bond over Fortnite. <laughs> and these kids are fucking good right you know you can it's like oh shit i just got killed by a 12 year old i mean that really <laughs> knocks you down your takes your ego down yeah. <laughs> knocks you back to reality yeah, you know, do you have, like go on Twitch or something like that? I just, or? I literally just yesterday, my God. friend John, who works at the cellar, who does all like the sound and stuff, mm-hmm. he understands all that technology. He came over to my house and I play on Switch, which makes it wildly more difficult to connect to Twitch because Switch is like Switch Twitch. Switch is like, no, we're different. We don't want to make this easy. So, well, then took- you could have made your name a little less right, <laughs> a little you know, less Switch, exactly Twitch. the same. I know, but I figured it out. So I'm gonna start twitching, which will be a way to do shows. You, you can maybe make, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Especially if it's all comedians and you twitch all together, this could be like a new amazing sort of podcast yeah. vibe or something because people love watching people billions play video of people games. watch twitch i'm not joking yeah like hundreds of millions of yeah. people it's, it's wild crazy yeah. it's the biggest industry the video it's amazing the video game industry and i don't think people quite realize that anyone anyone just i'll take my girlfriend as an example you talk about video games she thinks like i'm an infantile child or something right. like that it's like it's so it's bigger than movies. It's bigger it's living than in music. Movie. It's yeah, it's it's a totally different experience I, as I, to what people think it is. And I defend video well, first of all, we have to remember like when video games first came out, really like home consoles in the early eighties, when Atari. Nintendo came out, even even after Atari you weren't like, born then. <laughs> no, but it's like even what Nintendo revolutionized it, right? Yeah. Different than Atari. I had different it. than yeah. With the robot. And, it was seen as like a thing that kids did, but those kids grow up. Now we're adults and video games have grown up with us. And I always try to remind people who try and poo-poo video games. I'm like, <laughs> do you understand the amount of art and thought process and brain power that went behind this? Yeah, it's it's more complex than a movie. I mean, just Grand Theft Auto, the amount of complexity that's happening just on a single street. I mean, that's a those are artists at work and you need writers to write the story and actors to do the acting and it's living in a movie essentially i'm not all video games are great but you know it's certainly uh, during the pandemic fucking saved my goddamn life yeah we're heading more and more into that kind of virtual reality i guess video games will I told you that. Get well, a PlayStation. Well, that's that Everyone whole, who's like, like, I'm bored. Get a PlayStation pandemic. I, well, I'm not bored. I got too I know, much shit to you. do. I got, a, I got a Moog synthesizer. <laughs> a what? A Moog synthesizer. God bless you. Yeah. I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> well, uh, it says Moog. Or you think it says Moog, but M-O-O-G. it actually is pronounced Moog. Uh. M-O-O-G. You don't know that? No. Oh. Not a, you are a yeah, musician. he is a musician, an opera yeah. singer. He knows five sing. languages. Yeah, but, but that's right. not like I know nothing of inst. Like I can sing, but I can't do instruments. Yeah, I know nothing about music beyond the voice. The voice, just yeah. vocalization. Yeah, you said if you could play piano, you'd be in a mansion. Oh, I would like, be. I would never speak <laughs> never to speak any to of you. Anyone again. I'd never speak to my mother. <laughs> I would be living. You in, would. You would. Oh. I play piano. You can't. You can't. It doesn't sustain you forever. <laughs> it would be great if I could play piano. It would be wonderful. I yeah. There's an app for that. 
Uh, going back to your but phone. I'm too old. I'm too lazy. But for some it. reason, I feel like we're getting pushed more and more into our phones and everything like that. And I just like... Oh, we live in our phones. I was just hearing that they're like arresting people in LA if they leave their house. That's the new thing. Like... Uh, I don't know. I mean... I, I don't what? know if it's that bad. But I, I mean, think, the, I the think restrictions that's are what the governor bad. said. Like... He want, he threatened. Like, I, so that was from like a, a week ago, maybe. Is that right? There, there was I some was just joke. I don't know out. how real it was. Where there, if you leave, if you disobey the thing, they'll cut your no, like, power but off. If you leave your like house, that. you get arrested. That's they should do what they did in Italy, where those mayors just went into town screaming at their <laughs> yeah, citizens, that. like <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Are you are you enjoying being in New York during all this, or do you want to yeah, leave? Not, or I have not. So I'm usually a road dog. I mean, I'm right. on the road every weekend, and yeah. I have noticed though. Like, I mean, if, okay, am I enjoying it? Yes, I got a new apartment for wildly cheaper, more space. I'm Where? enjoying in the West Village. I live really? like two blocks away from here. Oh, that's oh, amazing. Nice. So I'm enjoying putting my. I was in a shit studio. I'm moving next week too. It's fabulous. Into a, a much bigger space out of, uh, yeah, out of it's the It's great. Village. I mean, the, the one excited. good thing is like, I've learned to appreciate the space that I live in and cr really create like a home. Right. Because I was so busy on the road and so busy doing gigs that yeah. I just viewed my apartment as like, well, this is where I store my stuff. Right. And then that's that. But then once you're forced inside your home, I'm looking around like, God, I don't like where I live. Right. So I now live in an apartment. Location-wise, it's great. I've been hanging at the cellar every day, right. me and the staff, and, you know, just the literally. The cellar's still going? Um, Trying. It's, it's, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I've been, I've been just literally speaking Spanish all summer because Jose and Liz speak Spanish and Angelica, who worked there, so we've just been gabbing away in Spanish. But just like the way... I've realized that, oh, I need to be happy with the space that I'm in to create any kind of peace has been huge for me. I enjoy cooking. I'm able to cook now. Uh, and mm. also, too, I, I saw a video of myself. I don't usually watch stuff that I've done, but someone posted me on something on Instagram. And so I was like, what is I, You just forget the stuff that you do. And I had done my friend's podcast right before the pandemic. And I was looking at my face and I always look tired. I have those like, heavy Italian eyes. They're like heavy eyelids. Like everyone's like, are you high? I'm like, no, I'm Italian. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I saw my face in this interview. And I was like, I look exhausted. <laughs> I look exhausted. So it's, I've gotten rest. I feel like I feel better. I'm yeah. eating better. I, I mean, I don't drink or party anyways, but just not sleeping and being dehydrated right. on planes all the time yeah. has caused me, you know, I was looking tired. Yeah. So, you know, I got Botox and I get oh, you sleep. Did? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. When well, you're Where? too young for that. I'm 34. That's Dude, young. You're That's the, so you're and young. everyone's always like, you, I, you I look know like we you, look 34, but we're a little older. Than I'm you. a lot older. Everyone's always like, you don't look, you don't look like you need <laughs> Botox. I'm like, That's because I got it. Uh, <laughs> no, I just got a little bit around my eyes and forehead. What does it do? It takes the wrinkles away? Just kind of makes you look a little more relaxed. Not oh, scary. Yeah. It's needles, no. right? Yeah. Like near your eyes and stuff? Yeah. No, on your back, but it somehow gets to your face. Yeah, of course. It goes like around your eye, on your forehead. And mm. I don't know. I was like, whatever. I'm miserable. We're in a pandemic. I might as well do. I got it for free. Uh, so I was like, uh, I might as well do this. Make myself feel better. Got a tattoo. Really? Mm -hmm. Where, what'd you get? I got um, one of my own drawings. I got, it's my favorite opera singer, favorite artist ever. Actually, Maria Callas. So it's the only tattoo I'm ever going to get. But I did this drawing eight years ago, and I've been since trying to find an artist who I thought that could replicate the drawing exactly, mm -hmm. and I found him. 
He was this Russian dude. His name is S-I-V-A-K underscore. I think maybe he's Ukrainian, speaks Russian. But they did Whoa, my drawing. Love it. Exactly. And I fucking, I I'm obsessed with Let it. Let me see. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. Really cool. I got to shave it. She's yellow. getting a bit of a mustache. I, I love the yellow. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly my drawing. He fucking, yeah. and he wouldn't, I mean, like, didn't ask how I was, didn't ask who did the draw, nothing. Like this guy was did was, had no interest in me, but he did it. It was not really his style. He even said that to me, but afterwards a lot of his coworkers came up and compl- I've been getting compliments on this for ever since. People Fantastic. stopping me. I was getting my blood drawn by a nurse and she was like, oh, "Your tattoo." And I was like, "This is the artist. His name on Instagram is Sivak or whatever." But you're the really artist. Good. Yeah, I'm I'm actually a professional artist. That's what I was that's what moved me to New York. I went. I studied at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Lived in Italy painting. I was a fashion illustrator for TV commercials and a storyboard artist for years. Wow, that's amazing. So how did where did you grow up? Chicago. Oh, okay, that's neat. Hence my accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how'd you? What'd you? How'd you get into art? Uh, my mom is an artist, but she, you know she's like, she's like Italian. Well, she's Italian and Mexican, but she's just like culturally Italian and she's like well I'm just gonna have kids and that's that and but I think it's genetic because my brother sister and I are all artistic uh-huh. she never pushed it on us never I just was like this neurotic child who would draw 24 7 so yep. just drawing 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 I never did art in high school though I did opera in high school but didn't go to class for anything and my grades weren't good enough to get into college because I almost failed out of high school mm-hmm. so then I could get into art school you didn't need to be good at math so I did five drawings and I got into the best art school in the country, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Wow. And then that changed my life <clears throat> forever. I mean, I became addicted to school like a sponge. I stayed there. We had seven hour classes. I became, I mean, I did nothing but draw and paint, mm-hmm. nothing but draw and paint. Right. I didn't party. I didn't dr- nothing. I just was like addicted to being an artist. And when I graduated, I developed a portfolio and became a storyboard artist for TV commercials. And then, I mean, I was young, I was the youngest employee in this company. I mean, it was, everyone was like retired artists who are in their fifties, who've been working for Disney forever, who just do storyboards on the side to make money. Mm. And there I was 21, like I'll do anything. I was drawing at first I was drawing littlest pet shop, which is a kid's toy. Oh, they have all these, do you know what that is? Yeah. I have a 10 year old. Yeah. So I would do all the commercials for them. <laughs> then they realized I could draw pretty women. So I started doing all the fall spring campaigns for DSW. Then I would do shoes, seven right? up. Yeah. Shoes. It's yeah. like an Andy Warhol thing. He did this kind of thing. I think he, too. I don't know if he's storyboarded. Storyboarding oh. is like a very specific job. It's not animation and it's not, printmaking it's you talk to the art director before any of the commercials shot are made and they like for example you're doing i did this seven up commercial like okay we want this guy he's in his office and then he he his like uh whatever like his twin comes up and like they're both drinking seven up but one's kind of kooky looking one and you just sketch out exactly what they say and then you have to take that and then actually do so we need 35 drawings black and white or color Mm. We need them by tomorrow. So you're basically up all night doing these drawings. And then these drawings go to 7-Up and the advertisers and they film it from there. Like a visual map. Right. Yeah. It's hard. It's really, 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 really hard work. I mean, I am... I think it's like a young man's game. I mean, I it right. it is exhausting. You you know, and you don't know when the work's gonna come. So you could not work for three weeks, and then all of a sudden you're working a week straight doing a campaign or something, and you go, okay, we need 120 drawings. I mean, that's 
you just are hunched over at your desk drawing all day. And there's no sort of upside in terms of like normally, like if you're an artist, I, I have a goal of getting in a gallery and showing right. my thing with like right. storyboarding. It's like it goes to the commercial then and dies and dies. That's I mean, it. I, like that seems a little like I liked it in the sense that I'm a very fast drawer. Yeah. I was the fastest in all of my classes. It actually hurt me in oil painting because they're like, you need to chill out. But um, <laughs> I'm very quick. So I, I and I enjoy like animation. I did animation in college and it was exhausting because it's just drawing the same thing over and over the storyboarding is like here's the one image move along mm. but that would have eventually had led me to either working for disney or nickelodeon and getting i really wanted to do character design and work so that way my art would have gotten to the screen you know mm. um but it stopped i got a i started doing comedy when i moved to new york well i started in chicago and then really truly took it on as like a second job when I moved to New York doing open mics and then I quit my drawing job and now I just do comedy full time. And how long have you been doing comedy? Almost nine, January, 2012 is really when I started. So I, how many, it's almost nine years. Yeah. Yeah. What, what got you into it? Two things. I mean, I, I don't know that I think, you know, I think especially my experience being gay was I didn't really have anyone to look up to doing comedy besides Ellen. I mean, no, mm. certainly no gay mm. men. Didn't, it doesn't, didn't were exist. There? there were none. There's still, I mean, there's tons of young queer comics. That's it's Joel Kim Booster, Julio Torres, Solomon Giorgio, just trying to win toward just great queer comics. But I would say there's no openly gay male who's as famous as Ellen DeGeneres or Bill Burr or mm. Chris Rock. I just right. don't know if it ex it doesn't exist yet. I mean, that's I don't think I, I don't. If, yeah, if it either is. one I'm of you can, yeah, I never, I didn't even think of that. That's that's odd. So right? I, yeah, it is kind of weird. On the female side, there are uh, you got Wanda Sykes, Rosie O'Donnell, Ellen DeGeneres. Plenty. I mean, you get you get a lot of really awesome mm. lesbian queer female Margaret Cho. Um, yeah. But I I got into it because mm. like a comedy just wasn't a thing for me. I just didn't relate to it in this in the sense of like I'm. Either the jokes were homophobic or they were about being married or they're about the differences of men and women. I didn't relate to any of it. All right. So I related to Joan <laughs> Rivers and Kathy Griffin and Margaret Cho. Mm -hmm. These were women that were specifically talking to queer audiences, gay men. Mm. And I just was, I, I remember first time seeing Kathy Griffin, like I was like enjoying comedy for the first time. I just, I was finally, I was like 17 yeah. and I was finally understanding what people loved about comedy. But Joan Rivers specifically, I saw her probably around 19 or 20 years old, changed my life. Yeah. That I, she struck me like a thunderbolt. I'd never seen anyone use comedy as a weapon in a sense. I mean, she was so, strong and powerful on stage it it literally changed my life and then my friend was dating a comic in chicago named marty de rosa who's a great comic and i was ignorant to the world of comedy i had no idea how you do comedy i just said to him one day i was like i want to do comedy and he was mm -hmm. like oh you know as a favor to to you know my friend his girlfriend he said, yeah you can do three minutes on my show so i brought 36 members of my family wow. and <laughs> on your first time out mm -hmm. that's oh yeah wild. oh they were ready and willing my grandparents everyone oh you know oh, so, oh that's italian though 
and uh, I did three minutes. And you weren't like that. Didn't that make you more nervous bringing all the people? I would want to like do it. I'm definitely on my own here. Like you know, I just didn't know. I mean, now I don't like when people I know come to shows. I right. hate it. But I was young. I was 25 yeah. or six, and right. my family was the only people. You know, they. You have to understand. I grew up on the same area as my first like 25 cousins and we're all the same age and we all grow up together and I'm oh, okay. always with my aunts and uncles like it's all it's to my family to me is not just like my mom dad brother and sister it's like when you say family to me it's like yep my grandparents my aunts my uncles my cousins like right. yeah it really is a it's a cultural thing I mean my dad's I are Irish and he doesn't even I don't even think he speaks to his family. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, them coming to my first show was natural. I mean, and they also just wanted me to talk about them. <laughs> They're like, make fun of us. It was a roast. Yeah, of course. So how'd you do? Probably not well. I mean, it's your first time doing comedy, but I liked it. I liked preparing for it. I liked being on stage. Because before that, I had been singing in gay strip clubs mm. uh, on the weekends with this shit cabaret show. That was my only way of performing i think comedy to me was a calling but i just didn't know what that call i just knew i wanted to be on stage similar to singing yeah yeah on stage facing the audience and different vulnerability though i liked with comedy nowhere to hide behind in comedy some somewhat yes and no like now that i do a monthly singing show at joe's pub i've gotten more comfortable in singing different type of performance for sure but with comedy I'm a, I'm much more stronger on stage. Oh, okay. More confident. confident more. Mm, I believe myself more. Mm. I mean, singing is way more vulnerable and way more frightening in a lot of ways because it requires you to not be funny about it. Um, I think. See, I think it's totally the opposite. I would be much more vulnerable if I went up just to tell jokes or just to be comedic or whatever. Right. If I go up on stage with a guitar and singing, I can totally like that's like Tell su- jokes. a huge security blanket, and then I can like joke around in between. It's I think it's just that's what my upbringing at this point in terms of skill in comedy is just much stronger than right. And I'm a great singer, but not in the sense of like I'm not like a perf- I'm not like <laughs> this wild performer as a singer. Like obviously yeah. I'm a comedian singing. If I do a singing show, you know, so my comedy is my my sword. Essentially, like right. I feel more confident if I make fun of myself or, you know, just having jokes, like feeling the security and the jokes that I've written really helps. You know, I don't I'm more of a comedian than anything. So how long did it take you to write your first like three minutes or did you have or did you improvise some? Well, when I first started in comedy, I got asked by this guy named Adam Garino, who was running a gay comedy show at Zany's and so he asked if I wanted to do it he'd seen me at open mics and we had done these kind of stand-up shows at sidetrack and I was at which is a gay bar in Chicago and I said sure and I had done I knew that I had a month to prepare so I needed someone was like Marty was like you need to go to open mics so I started going to open mics and then open mics is where everything is revealed to you 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 completely understand the schedule you have to put yourself on, how many nights a week, how to work on jokes, how to write jokes. And I befriended a really funny comic named Ray Holub who taught me everything right away. He was like, come with me. We'll do open mics every night. We do three open mics a night. You have to write like one or two jokes a week and let that go throughout the week and see how that grows. And then if it does well, you work on that if you're booked on a show. And you, so you, you're kind of always folding. It's like a tapestry. You're always 
adding to your repertoire essentially. Right. So I got put on a really good schedule, comedy schedule through Ray. And then from there learned what it means to be a comic and what you have to do and the respect you have to earn and how to write jokes. And, and in the beginning, I mean, I didn't really know how to write jokes, but I knew how to perform. I knew how to sing and do impressions. And so I was doing like Christina Aguilera impressions and Britney Spears impressions and Mariah. And it was really just to garner attention. I mean, I, I, you just want anything to separate yourself. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm gay, which was, I was one of the very few. It was like me and um, Bill and, you know, well, it was Cameron Esposito and, and Candy Lawrence, a bunch of other queer comics in Chicago. But but I, it would do anything just to get attention. Right. Sing, do impressions. Then that wears off. And then you start writing jokes. The first joke I wrote was, that was successful ended up being, I mean, I don't do it, but it, I, I saw John Mulaney did a version of this. I was like, oh. But to me, I was like, I wrote a joke. Um and it was true. I would do this all the time. I'd be late at night on the train and it would mean a girl would get off on the same stop. And then it would hit me. I'm like, oh, like I'm following her. Like she probably thinks I'm going to like murder her or whatever. Mm -hmm. So every time she turned around, I started sashaying. So she knew I was gay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it is something that I did. Like I would, I, I often find myself gaying out to yeah. like st near straight women so they don't feel like at the gym or whatever like I don't want for some reason like how, if I'm opening my how door how do you gay out at the gym I mean put on a sundress I don't know it's <laughs> no, like anything how, like, how do you gay out at the gym I wonder I mean I already look wildly gay so there's no question there but um, just like hey girl you know just anything oh, to like right. give him a wink right. of like right. I'm on your side I'm not here to be a creep yeah so that was like the once I did that joke I think that was the first joke that lended itself to joke writing and then mm. especially moving to new york the tricks and the christina's and all that all out the door because oh, it was wow. all about joke writing and uh. the first open mic i went to was at the creek in the cave yeah they just closed just closed which is which is really bad. sad because long island city long island city creek in the cave is mm. a, a venue run by rebecca trent that really just allowed comics who couldn't get stage time to develop their voice in wildly unique ways and she really just sort of gave us the key to the stage and allowed us to do these wild crazy shows and essentially find your voice mm. but the first open mic i went to was me suba tim dylan michelle wolf anthony devito um, Mark Norman. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a lineup. <laughs> yeah. He's this been is, on the and I remember like watching everyone. It was the six o'clock mic at the creek. Um, Mike Lawrence, Dan St. Germain. Oh, Tim Dillon is gay. Yeah, Tim yeah, Dillon. There you go. That's it. Um, I love Tim Dillon. I, I do didn't too. Know he was gay. I can't yeah, say Dylan enough too. good I, things. I agree. He's, and Tim. Do you some, like his podcast? I think everything he does is genius. Yeah. He's, and he, he he's did brilliant. some. He and I were. One of the few gay comics, at least in our circuit, for the for the first couple months I moved to New York, uh, we would see each other, wildly different comics. And I really felt a bond with him in the sense that, like, I just was kind of like, yeah, we're just like, we're doing it. Right. <laughs> and I remember one of the funniest things he said is, I went up on stage at the Creek and did well. You know, you're doing two and a half minute mics, two minutes, whatever. Then Tim Dillon goes up right after me. He goes, I just want everyone to know that I'm sure next week Mateo's going to be on Chelsea Lately talking about Miley Cyrus's hair, and I'll be throwing myself off the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> like that. <w> <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
<laughs> love Tim Dillon. Yeah. Um, Frank Liotti is another great gay comic here in the city. But yeah, I, I just started doing open mics and they really just lead you. you everything is, just becomes organic. That's why when people ask me, like, how do I do comedy? I literally just say, go to an open mic. I have right. nothing else to share with you, tell you, offer you. Go to an open mic. How long? Just go. You go until and jump in the net just with a something happens no, until I, you feel it's different for everyone well, well he but found a mentor the kind of guy uh, like a comic yoda guy ray, ray hollab really did teach me yeah. the ways and when i moved to new york i applied all of that to him i said okay and then evan williams became my comic buddy who's a great comic who moved to la and uh him and i would do three or four mics a night right. and uh, again i didn't date i didn't go out i didn't drink nothing it was monday to monday comedy that's it i just was doing comedy that's all i cared about where does that focus come from you because you did that with art and you did that with uh singing singing and and then now you have so you have a lot of drive to excel where do you get that from um i don't know i have this neurotic compulsion to just achieve greatness i don't have a greatness but just to like i like the results yeah yeah i like doing something and seeing myself well, get you like better. to honor life in a way uh i don't know if i think high. that um existential about it <laughs> i don't think i really think of anything as be, uh, besides is the work good which is wildly arguable <laughs> it's right. like do i feel that i'm creating good work or do i feel that i'm doing a good job or when I go to bed at night, do I feel I've accomplished something? And I have to say, living in Chicago my whole life, I always had this sense that I didn't, that I was just missing out on something. Mm. And I would, I have to say, New York has truly brought me a sense of belonging. Being a comedian has brought me a great sense of belonging. And um, who pointed you towards New York? My friend Aaron Hoffman knew I was a fast illustrator we went to school together and he got a job as an art director and had off the cuff was like hey i need extra drawings done i can't draw this fast can you when i was living in chicago can you do these drawings well i did all of his work within two days that would have taken him four weeks and so he said would you want to move to new york uh, so it was it wasn't for comedy the move that's but it was but it was because i've always wanted to move catalyst. to new york yes and i and i had, and i've been doing comedy for like nine months in chicago and i thought this could be it so when I moved to New York, I was the drawing drawing to me to this really sounds horrible, but it is not difficult. So it was just a matter of doing it, waking up and going to work and just I have the Golden Girls on one screen and just draw all day, get my work done. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I got to get ready for open mics. Like, that's all I cared I know about. How you feel it's uh, some people you do stuff like that where it's just like it's not work. It's, right. And it gets the money in and whatever and right. it facilitates other things well because it like the passion switched i felt that i had gotten and now i've come back to art i think art kind of moves i think every artist has to take distance from their art for a second mm. i don't think it's possible to like i i i had become i had i had become passionate about drawing use drawing as a momentum for me to to live and then once i found comedy drawing to me became the thing that was going to help me make comedy happen. So right. I only drew because it was feeding my passion of comedy, which I guess is kind of cool that I had one artwork feeding another. But now, and I did take some time away from drawing because it 
once you draw for a living, you have no more, you don't want to do it. Right. I'm sick of drawing. I'm sick of drawing for people. And it took me a while to come back to liking art. Yeah. In the fine art sense, drawing. I got an iPad Pro and now I draw on planes when I fly. Yeah, I love and that. I got one of those. It's and the, the best. And Procreate. the pencil and all that. Procreate. My Procre- daughter uses it. <laughs> That's what I it's use. the best. Really? I use it's it too. I fill my Instagram with my artwork. It's all my artwork and my ass. But, um, but what, yeah. What's I, your Instagram? It's just Mateo Lane. Okay. My name. Check it I out. follow him. I haven't it, seen your ass it, though. Oh, just scroll. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> it's there. I'm desperate. Did you ever have like a gallery of You're like desperate? Your artwork? <laughs> <I'm> desperate. <laughs> I don't think no. so, man. I had one I had one gallery when we graduated. I wasn't a gallery artist, you know, I was well. a, I was a advertising artist i guess you could say but i did um so the art was never more than sketches and storybooks was it ever like full-on paintings oh yeah i was a i lived in italy <laughs> in uh, monte castello di vibio at the università di illustrazione di Bingere, and i was uh living there for months uh oil painting in the alla prima method my where, dan gustin was my where teacher is all that stuff is uh all of my mom's attic and some paintings still in my house like i have my oil paintings in my house the alla prima method the alla prima method means direct painting so it's like instead of doing these uh like these sort of like ren uh not renoir um instead of i hate renoir um instead of doing these like underpainting overrated it is overrated it's a horrible (laughs) painting um but uh you, it's direct painting, so like laying out the color and building it up from there. I see. Essentially, is what it is. Yeah. I learned from Marion Krishkov and Dan Gustin. Those were my two teachers. What about a comic strip? That seems like a, a no I just brainer sold for a you. Cartoon show. Oh, really? Yeah, but I it's we're it's a mess right now. I mean, in terms of uh, negotiating. Congratulations. Thanks, yeah. Bob. The, Bob the drag queen and I created a comic book character called Kick Ass Drag Queen. Uh-huh. And I did about 500 drawings for it. We got an Instagram account for it, and then we sold that to a producer and sold that to a, a TV network. Wow. So there's going to be a cartoon of it. And you write it and draw it. Bob does most of the writing, but yeah, I'm. I'm illustrating everything designing characters and doing background stories is it gonna be like adult like big mouth kind of vibe yeah adult comedy i mean it's drag queens right so it's gonna be gonna be rough (laughs) that sounds fun yeah so it kind of circles back like i've circled back to my artwork in a way that i didn't expect but um i guess i've just always leaned on my artwork to get me ahead well it's there for the rest of your life that's the great thing about being an artist and doing various uh having various disciplines. I mean, cause I'm the same way. I'm a musician, but a painter as well. My, yeah. my Instagram is nothing but my paintings too. <laughs> Yours is probably smarter than mine. <laughs> I doubt it. I really, I really doubt it. But like, uh, but I, I've have the same, I relate to what you're saying. Cause I sort of oscillate and they, they inform each other and then they also give each other energy and I can take a break from one yeah. and then go into another one. And it's just, uh, and taking a break helps, rejuvenate it in yeah. a lot of ways. I well, then your like subconscious can sort of grow like while you're not disturbing it right. or something. The only problem is, is quarantine. You know, I thought when it was going to happen, I was going to create a lot of artwork and I didn't. And mm. I realize is because I think certain artists work better in solitude and certain artists need to absorb. And I'm one of these artists that just needs to absorb. If I'm living life, if I'm out, if I'm doing things, I feel inspired. like I'm inspired. Yeah. Sitting at home all day, yeah. 
I wasn't inspired. So I didn't draw. Yeah. I literally didn't draw for, I think, three and a half months during quarantine. Because yeah, I just wild. was like, I don't give a shit. And if I don't care, it just doesn't come out. Yeah, I had a friend who had a gallery, or I have a friend who has a gallery, <laughs> and she uh, gave me the keys to the place, and I used it as a painting studio when lockdown first happened, so I ended up painting like a shit ton. But I know what you mean. Like, this whole thing has been sort of, there's been some unseen challenges that you couldn't have really planned for. Like, it is, you think, oh my God, I have this time, I can just focus, I can achieve so much, but... There's like there's other weird things that make it difficult, I guess. Yeah. Just, I like to be busy. Yeah. I like to always be doing something. Yeah. Uh, I'm not good at sitting still. Right. I'm not really good at relationships in that sense either. I oh, mean, really? I've tried to do like relationships and just like drink Come. coffee in bed and watch TV. And I'm like, I'm going crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't do this. It's too hard. Right. And I don't think that that the people that I, you know, had, they don't get it. They don't get, they, they just had in, the wrong partners. They're into That's it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There's one person that I'm, we're both still madly in love with each other and we'll eventually figure it out. But there's a, uh, geo, <laughs> geographical, geographical. It's a, a long distance. We'll say That's uh, right. here in Europe is too far. And so we can't see each other. But. Oh man. Where, where in Europe? In España. Oh, nice. Is this the porn star you joke about in your uh, comedy <laughs> act? No, it is not. A, he's not a the porn European star. porn star you no, joke about. No, he was Brazilian, about. not European. Brazilian, sorry. Although I think some Brazilians like, we are European Brazilian. I'm like, oh, yeah. Brazilians are so goddamn hot. I can't handle it. They're perfect. Their country's beautiful. Their food's great. Their people are. I, Brazilians really nailed it. Yeah. They did nail it. They fucking nailed it. I, I don't know go why on Instagram they're always like, come to Brazil. I'm like, yeah, I want to. You think I want to be hanging out in the middle of January in New York? No. Yeah. I want to be in that what whatever that beach is in Brazil with that mountain in the background that all the um, gays take the picture in it, front. Impanea, impanea. Yeah, that song. I speak Copacabana Beach. Copacabana. Ipanema. Ipanema. I just like I don't know how to. Again, uh, I was I there. I was there once, two thousand four. I bet you they thought you were Port uh, Brazilian. Brazilian. I don't remember. People must think you're Brazilian, Italian, Moroccan, Iranian, um, Turkish. I'm Israeli in in origin, but yes, the complexity, the color is. I get a lot of Spanish people talking to me in Spanish because they yeah. think I know Spanish. Oh, Latino for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just get Italian. What do your parents do? My dad was a well, he was a he's a Vietnam vet mm -hmm. and then became a cop. And oh. My mom was a school secretary wow vietnam vet how old is he he's 68 now oh so are your siblings artists as well or my brother's the top designer at apple really has a very difficult rare job to That's have incredible. is in a very elite group of people my sister does he lend you money ever like, no <laughs> like, really? apple discounts? Like, and i get no apple he gets what? same goddamn 10 percent you discount. get no discount nothing that's nothing. Insane. I did get to try some stuff before other people. Like I tried the iPad Pro and the iPen, the yeah. iPencil and stuff. My sister is a world champion fitness instructor, fitness wow. body. It's called an IFBB Pro, International Fitness Bodybuilder. Yeah. And uh, but she's a, a, an insanely good interior decorator. I mean, like out of this world. She's also very incredibly artistic. How come you guys are excel so much? Where your parents must be amazing. I don't know. It's so funny because my parents never pushed us. My parents never. If anything, my parents did the right thing by sort of just taking a step 
You know, I have to give a lot of credit to my mother. I think looking back now, my mother growing up, we're all in a row. I'm 34, she's 35, my brother's 36. So we're all like ducklings in a row. You're the youngest? I'm the youngest. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I need attention. I'm the youngest too. But my mom did such Not a good- in this good... room, unfortunately. Right. But... My mom did a good job of making things fun and accessible for us. We did not have a lot of money growing up, so drawing and cooking was like, it was the thing to do. Every single day my mother would cook, she'd line all three of us up with her and, and we'd help her cook. And she would make it something that was enjoyable, pleasurable, fun, uh, even things like making when you make pizza dough and then you have to watch it rise and how exciting it was for us to see rise and then decorating it and you know sitting down my cousins had a camcorder which you know looked like you worked for Lucasfilm back in the day <laughs> yeah. and we would do animations we would yeah. do claymation and animation wow. and um so i think my mom just just encouraged our creativity because we were naturally creative i think i truly think you're either born a creative person or you're just not yeah, I so? think my mother you either have the eye or you don't. You, truly, and same with singing. Mm. You either have it or you don't. You can practice your whole life, but you're still not going to sound like Whitney. Houston. I, know, I always tell people it's just sustained talking, singing. It's no big deal. Mm. But it's different. I mean, with the opera. But yeah, I was like, I don't know if I agree I, with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I disagree. think like with, with cam cameras are a great example where you give one person a camera. It could be the mm -hmm. shittiest camera. They either know how to take a photo and can see the composition or they can and it doesn't That's matter right. what camera you have a good photographer will use shitty equipment it'll still look good because he has the eye for it mm -hmm. composition the composition is everything but mm -hmm. i think my mom did a good job of encouraging us that way and that wasn't that was enough we just yeah. had a mother who believed in me and she never said no don't be an artist well, she guided you guys, it sounds like, into your imaginations. But it's like, also, it's like it shows you, like, nowadays kids are fucked because they're all on their phone and it's all this, like, light show. Whereas you're sure. getting entertainment off of watching, like, pizza dough rise. I mean, you know truly. What I mean? It also sounds so Italian. My, you know. But um, I think also, too, like, when I, and I do sound like an old fart when I say this, and I understand that I use technology now to create paintings and mm -hmm. stuff. I, I, I have sort of gone away with the traditional way, but I think it's really important for young artists to learn traditional first. Mm. I went back to my school to speak. There was a, uh, Peggy McNamara is one of my favorite teachers and she taught a class called scientific illustration at the field museum. And we would spend seven hour classes. You, you would, we would watercolor and draw the taxidermied animals to really study the, the animal anatomy, Form, essentially yeah. bones, all that stuff. And, it was really important to the, all those foundations of drawing and learning how to draw with tangible, real uh, material helped me when I became, you know, an artist working and I had to work digital. And then I went back and most of the kids were already starting to draw on their iPads and laptops. And I thought it's really a disservice. I think in any form of art that you do, just start with the basics because if you skip ahead, if you look at an artist who studied the, the you know fine arts and watch an artist who did not and just worked through digital, there is a difference. Mm. So, I mean, that's also me just being like an old fart, being like, the classical way is the best way. <laughs> but I kind of agree with it. Like, yeah. I kind of think you need, like, the basic foundation of art. Literally take red and blue 
clay and mix it together to make purple. Start there, mm. you know, as opposed to like the sort of fireworks that you get off the, off the bat with technology because it, it sort of dilutes and it sort of makes everything feel colder. It has less It's also less it. understanding of the process mm-hmm. of what it is to make the colors that you're using or... Or, yeah, it all disappears. It's all just given to you as a final product on digital. Well, it's like, and I know, you know, Picasso is like a controversial uh, man, but as an artist, I mean, he was 12 different artists in one. Mm. He started traditional and then moved to the rose period, the blue period, and then started to take what he understood the foundation of art composition and value and drawing, all that, and then broke it apart. Just disassembled it as many ways as possible with the knowledge of where it comes from, the foundation. And that's why he was so genius because he wasn't just creating these sort of abstract Cubanism, all these different uh, pieces to, I don't know, to be weird, <laughs> like a shock jock, you know? He was doing it because he was trying to break apart the foundation that he understood that that art had stuck itself in. I mean, I'm totally for artists doing any type of artwork. I just think you should start with a basic foundation. I don't mean like know how to do an oil painting, but like understand color theory. Mm. Yeah. I think Picasso was amazing because he was always pushing himself, you know, and if you like keep yourself engaged in whatever creative, you know, pursuit by like doing something new, that's like where all the excitement is, you know, like just, I'm writing all this new music right now on this Moog synthesizer and it's like, it's all brand new again. You know, it has that same kind of, you gotta, you gotta go towards the unknown. Right. You know, do you mainly just use your iPad at this point? Now I just totally use it. Just that. Yeah. Just procreate. Mm -hmm. And you do paintings on it and Mm -hmm. everything. You don't want to do on real canvases. I don't have space. Right. I mean, that's the one thing with oil painting is if I ever get a lot of money, I can open up a studio and start doing oil painting again. But like in my apartment, like, do you make prints or anything with it? No, or I just no. draw and put, put up my Instagram. Put up on Insta. I've really taken art and made it so that it's just I draw what makes me happy. Uh huh. What kind of things do you draw? I mean, last year, I think I was drawing things from like maleficent to predator to like just like things as a child that made me really happy Uh and recently i've been doing this series of just the women that i love and doing a sort of very flat ink yeah i was doing frida and is this queen elizabeth who is this that's queen elizabeth i did uh fran lebowitz and like your tattoo do the show the fran yeah 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 the fran lebowitz one's my favorite her smoking a cigarette oh i thought oh this one yeah. It could be just, like in the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah very New Yorker. Like, uh, yeah. But then if you scroll down, like I've done, you can do full blown oil paintings. And then I post if you, if you slide right on some that's of my That's a nice one, right? That's, that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. If you slide right on some of my artwork, it shows the process. Like I think the Earth oh, yeah. one just slides right. Because with Procreate, it, you can, it animates Layers. all your moves. I've made music videos like that where mm. I've just done like the whole thing drawing and it just keeps changing. That's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking too with your oh. comedy, you could incorporate sort of live artwork. You like, did that. Yeah, swipe right. Swipe. I thought that was an actual Disney no, no, Swipe drawing. right. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw that. Isn't that cool? The- it yeah, shows how it does it. Yeah, yeah, Isn't that yeah. cool? It's amazing. So you, your level of illustration is like Disney movie level illustration. I'm pretty 
This is like, okay, this is better than the movie. No, it's not better no. than the movie. Not better than Ollie Johnson. Don't overstate. Don't no, but it's that it. level. I mean, it's, it's amazing, it's but top, come on. Top notch. It's not better than the movie. This is, this is Joe's art. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. I love that's it. What, I what medium today. is that? That's on canvas. That's water, water based and ink and mixed pastel. media. Mixed media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking mixed media king over here. Work. But uh, yeah, but I was thinking because I paint live in a music right environment, there. like paint and sing at the right same there. time. You could do like that one oh, we did the, uh, over I, the weekend. I here. did that while I was singing two songs. Two songs, like. But I was thinking you could do the same thing with comedy, like set up a canvas. And like some kind of big, you know, implement yeah, like a big thing, telling jokes and drawing. I know you don't want to no, do it, I've, but it's I've a good idea. About, I really have thought about this. Right. I, d- I did a show once called Pictionary or uh-huh. Piction, Picture This. Yeah. And they have a comic on stage and then beside them is an illustrator who they project the drawings and they're drawing basically in procreate mm. right on stage so you can see what the drawing. And I did it for myself. Mm. So I've done that where I was like doing a Liza Minnelli story and drawing Liza. I have oh, it's projected from the it's iPad. It's projected, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Oh, that's so, cool. like behind you, that's a but, saves an uh, idea, saves yeah. you materials and but shit. But I think as a comic, I am not interested. I am interested as a comic to prove myself as a comic. I want to go on stage. I want to tell jokes. I see. And I have that's like a gimmick almost. Or not something. a gimmick. Yeah. It's not. But I think that being gay and being a singer and being an impressionist, all this stuff, it's in my mind, hard enough to prove myself as a joke writer. And I enjoy the art of stand-up comedy in a very clean way. Right. I want to go on stage with myself and a microphone and my thoughts. Yeah. I really respect that. And I don't want to lean on anything else, even though it would be interesting. And I think there's yeah. a place for it if I did some sort of, you know, to me, doing kick-ass drag queen is doing comedy and art. Yeah. It's me drawing something and expressing comedy through my art. That's more of a mix. But on stage live, I it's interesting to me. I have like no interest in doing it. Yeah. Which it, I've been asked a thousand times and I did it I did it once. And it was interesting. It was interesting to be on stage and doing a joke about cats like the musical and drawing like how shitty the costumes looked and stuff uh-huh. and very very interesting. But it's almost like when I think of CrossFit, like I feel like CrossFit's cool for the first two weeks, and then it just becomes exhausting. The thought of it is exhausting. Did you do CrossFit? No, but like I, I, I <laughs> but it's like you ever see people in CrossFit like yeah. running around, throwing tires, doing this. I'm like, this is exhausting. Uh, like you're gonna do this every single day. Like yeah. I, I, I don't pass. Think. <laughs> pass. It's difficult. I got up today and did a run, but it was not not that easy. I was tired. I slept too long and I was yeah, like, working I, could, I, could, I could go run real quick. And then, you know, I just like to breathe a lot of oxygen, you know, like that, the Wim Hof thing. <laughs> it's you know? an interesting take. I've never what? heard this take. No, before. that is like, it's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's like if you to go run, it's just an excuse to breathe a ton. You know? I do zero. I work out every day. I go to the gym. Uh-huh. Well, like five every, days a every week. day, five days a week. I'm very like about working out. But I I do no cardio. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. I'm lazy. I'm sure it's killing me. I hate it. I <laughs> yeah. like refuse to do it. It's uh, it's yeah. It's like every party you doesn't want to do it. No, I run a lot. <laughs> and even today, I was like, I don't want to do this. And mm-hmm. even when you're like going out and just walking towards like the East River, it's like I don't want to do this. But I'm then you make yourself do it. And while you're doing it, it's like this sucks. 
and it that never kind of yeah, doesn't but it feels suck. good after. But then it feels good after. But does yeah. it feel good after? Not really. Yeah, <laughs> no, we've like does. convinced ourselves <laughs> this is what we have to do, and people just sort of look miserable. And yeah. where do like, you go? What gym? Or you don't have to say, but uh, know, I go to stalkers. Do what? You'll get a stalker if you say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. I don't. Um, I go to a special <laughs> In Brooklyn. gym. Special gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. But I enjoy. I like going to the gym. My sister taught me my workouts and my diet and eating habits and and it's the same thing as everything else. I like having a goal and working towards it and seeing. Seems like you're very schedule oriented. I am. I'm very A type personality. I'm very schedule oriented. It makes me feel like. What's your birth sign? Cancer. Oh, Okay. I don't know what that. Means. I don't believe in it. Yeah, I don't believe in astrology at all. Next question. <laughs> it is an interesting question. I just know Virgos are like organized. Who are Virgos? Virgos. I'm yeah. a Libra. What My month place, is Virgo? I'm just all over the shop. Like right before me, I'm September. So, so. August is Virgo. I don't know yeah. any Virgos. That yeah, are no, or maybe right after me. No, I think right. No, right before. Yeah, I just don't yeah. have any. Astrology, that's something. Crystals and astrology, I could give in religion, I could give a shit about it. So, have you ever done like a full on, like hour long comedy oh, yeah, special? Every, not as hour long special. I mean, no. I do an hour on the road. Okay. But I've done 15 minutes on Netflix and then a bunch of like late night shows and Comedy Central and all that other stuff. Uh, but no, the hour was the thing that I was looking forward to in 2020 to right. get going. <laughs> that's what you're building. Put together towards. to present and, um, I played Fortnite instead. <laughs> There's nowhere to do an hour, so. Were you looking forward to where it was already planned and and you have just the like material, just, or you? Were, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't about oh, the, you you're already good have it? to go. Yeah, it was more so of like, where do we want to take this to, and how do we want to like sell this, and who do we want to talk to, like the beginning discussions of what that's gonna look like. Because like I've been Netflix, doing Netflix. Would that be like? Maybe the thing. Anything. Are you joking? Yeah. I'm desperate. I'll yeah. take it. I'll, I'll shoot Squatty one. Potty. Seem desperate. If Squatty Potty was like, we'll give you an hour, I'd be like, great. When's a good time? He'll shoot Listen, you. I'll shoot a special for you. Put it you on gonna YouTube shoot, for You're going to shoot me waking up making coffee in Listen, the morning. It's, <laughs> shooting like, a special is not that hard. No, it is very hard. It's not it's an not easy thing to do. The shoot itself is not complicated. I would, I would like to... Yeah, anyways, to answer your question... No, there's no. no, there's every 2020 knocked every. I was supposed to do this like 10 minute set with Wanda Sykes. She had like a bunch of queer artists coming together and we were going to do like the Hollywood Bowl and all sort of kind of, done, not happening. You know, we were supposed to do this, done. I was supposed to go to back to Italy and hang done. You know, so it's like, all right, we've all had, we've all had that year where we had everything planned. Then it was like, it's out. We'll wait till next year. How do you, what about the support from your family? Do they love what you do? Oh, they love it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you have a great family. I have a great family. Man. I, I, I have a fan look. It's unbelievable. My my mother's family my mother's childhood was traumatic and horrible and you know, just the worst it can it's bad. Yeah. And um but I think her and her brothers and sisters, she's one of seven. I mean, she's probably one of like sixteen. Yeah. I have no idea. My my real grandfather <laughs> So the story of my okay, my grandparent my real grandfather um, we called him Jack, but his name is Joaquin. He, I only met him once. He had five kids with my grandma. He was Mexican. She, my grandma's Italian. He, they had five kids with my grandma, and then he had kids with another woman at the wow. same time. 
and then named all the kids the same names no. so he didn't confuse them. Yeah. Keep it in your pants, That's Jack. Insane. <laughs> what so, a story. Most of my mom's childhood was either like being raised were, by her were grandparents. Were the kids the same age? Oh, yeah, of course. So they were simultaneous. Yeah, and she met them oh at his God. funeral where Wait, so everyone with families? the same names. Two families up. at the same time, the kids the same age, the same name. That it's in, that's a that's movie. Wild, isn't it crazy? Yeah. And she, and you know, basically, her child was either he's gone. My grandma's struggling to make ends. This is the 1950s, early 60s, and uh, so my mom and her sisters were basically raised by their grandparents, and then my grand—it's just a whole fucking mess. Like all their furniture getting confiscated, arguments, screaming—it's just not a good childhood. Mm. Then my grandma remarried a Sicilian. He is blind. He went blind at the age of five and put himself through law school and became a judge. Wow. And he married my grandma, adopted my mother and her brothers and sisters. That's and incredible. He raised them. He is my grandpa. I mean, yeah. he, I talked to him almost every day growing up, every mm. single day. And I talk to him now all the time. I mean, he's like a father figure to me. We're best friends. I mean, he is like What's his name? Nick. Nick. And he has saved my our whole family like he is a godsend my Sounds grandpa like a saint. he is a saint he's really a saint and he's for a guy to like adopt another man's kids is a is a heavy thing to do who is there. blind taking on a, a a divorced woman in the 1960s and you're catholic i mean all of it they went you know but the thing is my mom her real grand her real father my real grandfather she never she didn't speak to him after 15 right which means like all your cousins and aunts and uncles just gone one day. I mean, my grandma never did like a, well, you can still talk, just gone. So she was, all these Mexican relatives I have were just one day gone. And she had a lot of questions about her dad and her childhood and found him when she was in her 30s with some of her brothers and sisters. And they would meet in secret. You know, so my grandma and my grandpa didn't know. And they found peace with each other. I mean, mm. they worked at it, but they met a lot and he admitted everything and apologized and didn't lie and was truthful and and they found a connection again. And then I started to get letters from uh, Jack Maldonado. They called him, his nickname was Jack, but uh, when I was a kid, so I would get letters for my birthday or Christmas, like, you know, Merry Christmas. Like, he tried his best to be in their lives before he died. Hmm. And so I think it was good for my mother and her brothers and sisters to find peace with that, even though my grandma didn't like it. But she, it, she never forgave him? Never. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, are you joking? I, no, I get it. It, oh would be, it would be crazy to forgive. She was try- my but mom like, said one of her yeah. last memories of her dad when she was a kid was my grandma throwing an iron at his head. Wow. She's Italian, my mother. Yeah. Yeah, no, the yeah, mother. That's, that, that's, that's a beat too right. far. That, but I, but I get both like, sides. I get my mother's side yeah. needing to talk to your father, needing answers, oh, yeah. need, and I get my grandma's side saying, "Well, he's a piece of shit, yeah. and I don't want to see. I don't want him to see how well I raised you." Is what she yeah. said to my mother. Yeah, I well, get it. Forgiveness sets you free. So, I think so. It's and like, I've been interested now, like as an adult. To find, because my grandpa gave my mom books and books and books of pictures of all of our family in Mexico. Mm. So I have these tons of photo albums of just all these people that I don't know. It's a whole life I don't know. So I I want to in the future when this whole pandemic is over, reconnect and find my Mexican family. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, you should make a documentary. 
called Where Is My Mexican <laughs> Family? Yeah. <laughs> I know my family in Italy. And then my dad's family, you know, it's there's not real connection. Like Latin people have more connections, I think, like and that's like Italians are always even if you're like fifth generation, they're like, I'm Italian. Like there's just like a different sense, I guess. But mm. my dad has like no connection to his I don't even know where his family is from in Ireland. Nothing. My mom's family, Sicily, Naples, like we know. But it would be interesting to like find I have cousins. I know I have an uncle younger than me because he kept having kids after I was born. <laughs> what did Jack say anything like why he did it or did what did he have an excuse or uh just that he was young and they got married when he was 18 and he was involved with bad people like, you know, gangs and uh-huh. uh just was young and dumb. Right. And, young and dumb. And thought he could pull it off. <laughs> thought he could pull it off. I mean, he yeah. pulled off multiple kids with multiple women at the same time. That's... He said he's, he said your grandmother was the true love of my life. Mm. Oh, really? He said that's my mother. Your mother that's was always the true love of my life. <laughs> no, I think he meant it. I mean, he was honest. My grandma said you shouldn't talk to him. He wanted to get an abortion when I was pregnant with you, and I didn't. You know, she's Catholic. And my mom asked him. He said, I did. He said, I told her to get an abortion. Wow. So, I mean, he wasn't there to lie. Yeah. He didn't lie to them. But it is a fascinating that's a, part that's of my life. That's a sketchy life. thing to tell a kid, though. Hey, your dad wanted to get an abortion. Well, she right? told my mom when my mom was 30. <laughs> I know, but still, it's like... But she was making a point. A she was making yeah, a point. Right. She was saying, like, this is not a good man, and he ruined my life and ruined yours. Don't forget. Right. Don't and, forget who he is. Yeah. Right. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Did you ever I, hear yeah. that book called Sex at Dawn? No. Uh, it's, I haven't read it, like but I just I, I know about it, and it's like uh, apparently it's about like you know, just like this sex roles and like monogamy and human nature and all that stuff. And there's some apparently some kind of like village in China or something where, it, like, women once they reach their sexual maturity, they like leave their door open, and they get men visiting all the time, and when they get pregnant. It's, there's no attachment with any one man and then the family unit of the woman raises the kid and no there's no possessiveness in in, in the realm of relationships they they think that possesses for all these they kids. think that possess <laughs> the families or whatever they think possessiveness is like the family unit is more like extended it's like uncles everybody raises the kids it's like more communal i guess i mean but when you're italian it already is kind of that way right and, the, and it's like they're saying that like I guess that like that kind of sense of attachment is ego egotism and frowned upon, you know, you know, they have just a different way of going about it, but it's interesting to think about because, well, well also because you just think about like the way that relationships don't work, you know, or that all these problems arise and divorce rates and this, that, and the other, like 50%, like, like, are we supposed to be monogamous, even though that's what that goes in also with like, we're just not supposed to live to 110. Right. So monogamy maybe works when you live to 36 and die of your teeth. I mean, I I don't know. You know, it's like, I have no idea. There was no time for a second relationship. Right. It's like second relationship, bitch. I'm, I'm going to live till 25. um, I don't know. I think monogamy. Look, I, I think it's just comes down to what works for each person. Each person. Yeah. I think everyone, I think the same with religion. Anyone who has this sort of, I know the answer is already a red flag to me. I think it just comes down to what works for you. Right. You know, and I have, I know people who are in relationships that are 
totally open. They plan grinder hookups in front of each other. Like it's nothing. Right. I know people who are in multiple relationships. I have a boy, I have a boyfriend here and another boyfriend here. I know people who are strictly monogamous and right. I think it just comes down to your values and what you view is important to you and, and make it work. Yeah. Individual choice. I could see like an open relationship. I mean, I'm a jealous person. Yeah, me too. So I don't know. That's not going to work. Right. I mean, I like the idea. I like the idea. The idea idea is good. But then you get down to it. I'm like, no, I don't like. Nah. Yeah. With any, even a a remote thing, like the tiniest jealousy, that whole concept just falls apart. doesn't matter how open minded you think you are. I I agree. I mean, that's me. The resentment in the back of your head is just going to always like poke at it. Yeah. And plus, because people want security that you're going to be there through like through thick and through thin, you know, I mean, maybe they're right. Maybe it is ego to assume that like I have to be the center of your life and anyone else. it is. Pos- I mean, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I think that I think, yes, this the, the attachment and not and feeling to put rules over somebody else is an ego thing. Yeah, it's more you're making it more about you and what your ego needs rather than this person living as themselves you either yeah. take them for who they are or you don't mm-hmm. but you know i mean i've been in relationships and they've said do you want to do open and that's what i'm and i no. oh you say I, no but the possessive what happens when you say no you break up you break up <laughs> <laughs> that's it it's over <laughs> usually i'm breaking up with the them, possessiveness <laughs> goes as deep as the wife taking the husband's last name mm-hmm I mean, it's rooted in the in the heart of marriage, the possessiveness. You are now named like my last name. My mom's had three last names. Really? <laughs> yeah, Mexican, Italian, Irish. What's her name? Now it's a Sherry Lane. Sherry Lane. <laughs> it started off as Sherry Maldonado, which is Mexican. That's like an actress name. Isn't that great? Maldonado. Sherry Maldonado, a French... Cherie, like C H E R I E, you know, like a French Mexican name, and now it's like Lane. <laughs> so, are you dating over the pandemic, or are you like in a, a mess? You don't, yeah, you Just don't want to talk mess. about it. <laughs> no, in the beginning, it was like I was so. In the beginning, I was as horny as everybody else. I mean, I was just making promises to... I mean, the things I said on Grind would make your skin peel off. But mm-hmm. no, and certainly didn't live up to any of them. It was just like you're horny and alone. And you're like, sure, I'll do that. But um, <laughs> then once we were released, I was like, oh, I can't keep these promises. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just been in this... Truthfully speaking, it's just been this sort of like back and forth between me and this guy and whether it's going to work or not. I don't know the Europe, uh, the Spanish, the mm-hmm. Spanish Brazilian. Mm. I don't know what the attachment is. I don't know what the, I don't know how to release that. I just know how I feel. So it's it's complicated more than anything. How did I would you say. meet? On Instagram. Oh, okay. Three years and, ago. And have you been together? Oh yeah, or? we were. Oh okay. We we first met. I you know I, he doesn't like me talking too much about him, so I might not. We just met on Instagram and fell in love. Right. Okay. I got to ask a follow up then. It's you said 3 years and why haven't hasn't one of you just made the move? Money, that's it. It's expensive to have someone come and get a lawyer and do this and oh, get a green paper, card, and right, get, right. You know, not so not so it's not as easy as you think, you know. Uh you'd have to get married maybe. Probably. What do you think about marriage? 
Um, I think it's both great and outdated institution. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the latter. I think it's dumb and great at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea of making a commitment to living a life with somebody, but I also hate the expectation. Yeah. You know, like part of my misery is feeling like, am I supposed to be in a relationship? Is this just something else I'm being fed by society or am I fine living alone? What is the companionship that I want? I feel the need to be with somebody, but I don't know what that means. I've also sculpted and created a life of my own that is not very inviting towards somebody else. I mean, I'm a wildly independent person and I've lived as an independent person for years. I don't know how to share that essentially. Right. So I've kind of created my own roadblock. Until you find that one person who's compatible with that kind of behavior and wants is fine with that. That's true. Yeah. Another independent person. Yeah. That has his own thing and is not, you know, have to marry Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, it's like, no, I get, I agree. I agree. Not threatened by your independence and, and, you know, your lifestyle. Yeah. I have a hard time compromising. And I don't know that relationship necessarily has to be about compromising. I think you make a point. It's like, I think it's, it doesn't, but it, Usually is. It's all about people will tell and I will tell you relationships are all about compromise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't have an answer for like relationship. That's the one part of my life that I is out of my control. Right. You know, I've been able to sort of mold myself into an artist and a New Yorker and a comic and fulfill all the things I've wanted to fulfill. I mean, obviously I have more aspirations, but I've been able to achieve all the things I wanted to achieve, but love and a relationship is just the one thing that I haven't been able to, it's the one mountain I haven't been able to climb. And I see the same thing in myself. I see, I see it in other comics. I see that a lot. What? The inability to settle down. Not every comic, but I've seen, I, see myself in the same patterns I have in other comics. And I think it's because we're just so dedicated to this one thing. It's hard to find something that matches that, I guess you could say. I don't really know. I don't actually have an explanation, but I can mm. see in friends and other people the same. Yeah. I'm going to make the well, be, Being the an artist is yeah. a kind of a relationship. Like, so you have a relationship with your craft that might fulfill some of the relationship needs, you know, to That's belong right. to somebody. I would compare it to, touring musicians and and comedians if your your lifestyle is on the road and on the go and if you have somebody who expects you to be there 24 7 it's just never gonna work Mm -hmm. so i don't think most people expect you to be there 24 7 some people expect it all the time but there's a lot of comedians who end up together just like a lot of musicians end up together because it's just it's the same universe Me and Tim are getting married. And then start a podcast. (laughs) We will. I got to ask you about comedy, um, because I heard you talk about this. The fact that you were openly gay, did that make it harder for you in the comedy world? Was there, there, did that present like roadblocks for you? Or uh, how Um, is that in the, because comedy usually don't know if somebody's gay and if he's funny, he's funny mm -hmm. in a way. I don't I think it probably, if I was straight, like if I could suddenly be straight and do comedy, I could probably have better perspective on what that's like being gay and how people view you. I think 
I think the one thing that it's both there's it's all equally positive and maybe not so positive in the sense that like I like I'm a proud gay person. I'm a proud queer artist. I'm a proud, you know, but to be only identified or dismissed as the gay comma comic Mm-hmm. Or, you know, well, he gets that because he's gay or he gets to say that because he's gay or he gets it because he's gay. And it's like, OK, but it it it's just it's belittling to the other hard work that I put in, because not only am I going on stage and have to prove I'm just as funny as everybody else, but that I'm not leaning on my my sexuality as a crutch. But then also with how much, you know, the the sort of compromise in my own head, how much am I going to talk about? being gay and what constitutes as being gay now if i talk about dating sure that's gay sounding because i'm dating another guy but isn't it just what everybody else does and so there's this there is i think there's an expectation and there's also a stereotype that i'm always fighting against but i've gotten to a point now where i've cared less and less so like if somebody is like well he's just a gay comic or that that's i just don't care because i've proven to myself that I can do this and so people can say what they want kind of at this point. But I mean, um, is it harder? I like the fact that, you know, I stuck out. It's a different take. I notice when I get in front of audiences, like on the road, I'm when I go on the road, it's a lot of queer people coming out. Like it's a lot of gay men, but when I'm at the cellar, it's people who aren't coming to see me. Right. So it's just a, a motley crew of people, just random. And I noticed in a positive way, people are more open to hearing about gay lifestyle or they're interested or, Oh, how interesting. Like, you know, like you see eight comics, let's say at the cellar on a Friday night, each doing 15 minutes. Usually I'm the only gay one. And when I get on stage, it's kind of interesting to be, I'm coming at a different perspective. (laughs) Maybe not so special, but it's like, you know, it just is a different viewpoint. Well, I don't know. I enjoy, I, 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 I would say in the past, I probably tried to fight it because I didn't want to be just a gay comic. And I probably said and did a lot of things that I wouldn't say or do today. Like, I don't want to do that because I'll just be viewed as the gay guy or whatever. And maybe it was Mm -hmm. necessary for me to make those battles. But today I'm more confident in who I am as an artist. And I would I don't mind it. Like, I don't mind being the most queer gay person that I am. I just am myself. I mean, you have to remember, I lived 18 years of my life trying to please other people, being in the closet and trying to be something that I'm not. Suddenly, am I going to come out of the closet and still try and please? Like, I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. I'm 34 <laughs> and I'm fucking exhausted trying to please other people with something I can't control. So mm-hmm. it just comes down to the fact like I'm just going to do what I do. And if you like it, great. If you don't, fine. I mean, it's hard to please everybody. Most comedians represent a type anyway. Sure. Re- regard like whether it be a race or yeah. You know, usually comedians will lean in on a certain sort of identity. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like being gay is, I think, just part of that. Maybe you know. In other words, you wouldn't just be that, but that would just be an aspect of who you are. 
and that and it can inform where you take your comedy that's true but it doesn't reduce you as a comedian in any way it's just right. oh yeah he happens to be gay or just like somebody happens to be black and they talk about that a lot you know or something like that which you know makes sense when yeah, people say like, like why not why, you know it's like if you're not the status quo and i've lived all of my life sort of on the outside viewing how the rest of society works i'm gonna have a lot to comment on it right. would be crazy it for me to just not, not to. address it so yeah. i wouldn't yeah so i wouldn't feel self-conscious about representing who you are yeah you know but i mean it it all else? just kind of i don't know i've gotten to a point now where i'm very content with how i present myself so i mean it's but it's a lot of trial and error i think how did you get into singing opera what what <laughs> dro what drove you in that direction i just when i was 15 i really wanted to get into the plays at school but i was too young you know i wouldn't have gotten any of the parts so a girl named ashley stein said can you sing and i was like i don't know She's like, well, you can join show choir. You can get on stage and then the people can see you and da da da. So I was like, okay. And then she's like, just sing something for me. I didn't know what to sing. So I sang Aladdin. I think I sang like riff, rap, street rap. And she was like, you've got a good voice. You should audition. They were like, I mean, little than I, they were desperate for boys because boys, you know, it's too gay looking to do show choir. So I did it. And my, I, Mr. Heck, Tim Heck, who was my choir teacher, was very smart. And he said, look, you actually have a very natural singing voice you should you should train so he had me originally with a teacher i don't want to say her name but i was she was she was insufferable but she did i was with her for about maybe a year she was an opera teacher and we did just breathing and embellishments so just breathe laying on the ground breathing from your diaphragm breathing from a straw holding breath like controlling mm. your breath like all the things that go with it's back to running in wim hof what running in Wim Hof? What I was saying about running—it's just to breathe. It is just to breathe, right? Everything's a breathing exercise. But she tried to really push me into opera, and I was more interested in doing pop and Broadway and stuff. So I left her and went to another teacher who helped me harness my breathing in classical form. So I would say I had about—I I had a my base is an operatic. Uh, technique that eventually moved into just you know, more uh, contemporary music. But I studied with that teacher, Nick Falco, for about seven years. Wow. On and off. And why was the first teacher insufferable? Just egotistical uh -huh. and not nice and combative. And I don't know, I didn't like her. And so did you listen to a lot of opera music or what? Like Not particularly, um, but now I do. But now I only listen to opera through maria callas because i've just become obsessed with her uh -huh. so i've like because through her i've become obsessed with composers like donizetti and bellini and yeah. um puccini and rossini um but i've become obsessed with her as a artist it's hard for me now i'm one of those callas fans if you listen to opera you know what i'm talking about i'm one of these maria callas fans i now have a very difficult time hearing other opera singers that aren't her because she's so unique. In what way? Well, um, uh, she's so complicated to describe. I would say the traditional opera before Maria was kind of these 
well, there was Rosa Poncel who had a, a bigger voice, but like, it was just, let's just say Maria could sing anything, mm. any role. She could sing from a lower voice to a high dramatic coloratura. She had quick embellishments, but she had this strange sound to her voice. It wasn't like the pretty, you know, you know, opera, like what we think of as like opera. She had a kind of beast sounding voice. I mean, it was an animal. It was wild. It was, she would sing these high E flats, which are really, really high notes, but at full voice, Mm. Where other sopranos, usually the voice lightens as it goes up and you get these sort of, she would sing these notes and blow everybody out of the water. She was smart. She was strong. She was demanding. She could sing anything from Wagner to Belcanto to Bellini. She, I think it was, she was doing Wagner or something in Italy. And then in two days learned Vesperi di Siciliani and sang that at, maybe that wasn't the opera. I forget it was, but she sang some completely different opera. It would be literally be like playing piano and then going and playing uh, guitar for ACDC. I mean, like the most opposite right. ends of the musical spectrum because opera isn't one thing. Everyone thinks opera is just kind of like a fat lady who sings really high. It has so many different styles and yeah. so many different, uh-huh. you know. And um, she also was an actress. So before, you would just see these women stand, sort of just composed and standing on stage. And she was living these roles. She was Norma. She was, she was living these roles and she was so dramatic and she just completely changed how we view opera, how we hear opera, how we see, but the voice that she had really only lasted nine years really, because she, she was very large. And then she, in a year lost like 80 pounds Mm. and became like almost Audrey Hepburn thin and wanted to be, the most beautiful woman in the world, and in this, and then she left her husband and married Ona- or tried to marry Onassis, and there was this big love affair, and she stopped singing, and she was just in the newspapers, and she, it was like Britney, like where it was like wow. Britney was a pop star in the beginning, and then she had a few comebacks with Tosca, but then basically she died at age fifty-three in her Paris apartment alone. Wow, what did she die from? They say heart failure from too many sleeping pills, but I mean, who suicide. Knows? Who knows? Is there a documentary when, about it? When, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. When she got thin, did her voice suffer that's from that? The, that's the big question. Because when she got, she probably lost all the weight around 50. She started, she became more well known in the early 50s, 50, 51. Then in 1955, she lost all the weight. And by 57, 58, she was very thin. There's a great concert of hers in Paris. Her voice is still tip top but a year and a half after that i think it wasn't the weight loss i think it was she left opera and fell in love and lived her human side for once not this workaholic uh-huh and wow. when she did she lost the you have to sing like that every day mm-hmm. or you lose it and she had she lost the eye of the tiger yeah i think i think <laughs> i think she did and yeah. I think, you know, her life was a sad life. I mean, she had great achievements and, yeah. and literally changed opera for the rest of our Is life. Is there any other kind of life than a sad life? It seems like it's destined for sadness. I think when you're that great, I think when you're like Picasso level, yeah. when you're genius, like she is, I mean, she was a or like true, me and you. And ge- like us. Like us, basically. <laughs> no, nowhere near. Um, she, I think when you're that great, so many people, it's out of your control. It's like Judy Garland, Amy Winehouse. 
You're your, a freak. Your life gets sucked out of you by other people wanting too much from you. Mm. I mean, you can only give so much. Whitney Houston, we, someone like Whitney Houston will come mm. around once every 300 years. Yeah. And she was just so great and so rare that it's like trying to capture a butterfly. I mean, people just sucked the life out of her. Lightning in a jar. It is. And I think yeah. Maria is the same way. I think she was just so unique and met with a lot of fighting. I mean, people used to come and throw fruit and vegetables at her because they hated her. Mm. She was very controversial. Trust me. Yeah. Um, and she would pick up the radishes and bow at them. I mean, she was and she was yeah. a, such a diva. Wow. I need to look her up. I want to yeah. look her up, too. You <laughs> did a, by the way, that was a great... Uh, explanation of her description that was really awesome and v- v- vocally to me I don't know there's no one she's the can you sing a little bit opera comedy. right now or not probably really? not this early in the no? morning okay no. that just would be great for the clip I was trying for you it's too it's too early yeah, it's, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, cold no, I, and I gotta get my humidifier cause it's these apartments in New York are just, yeah. they're killing me it's crazy yeah my my apartment is cold I, don't, you I know. love the cold oh we were talking I'm just checking my yeah you board. gotta go in like four minutes oh I actually do. you have to go now alright okay well, damn well, that was, uh, do you oh, have sure. three more minutes to plug yourself sure this was <laughs> fun this was fun was this an interesting talk I mean I talked to yeah. you about my Abusive grandpa to <laughs> Maria Callas. It was good. It was a good one. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And I guess there's no comedy special for people to watch you Netflix, on. Netflix. My 15. Yeah. 15. On what show is that? Just the comedy lineup on Netflix. Comedy lineup on Netflix. And his Instagram, Mateo Lane. And you're no longer on Twitter, if I remember correctly. Got off that. I, I just don't ago. vibe with Twitter. Like awful. I, I want to, but I, I like Facebook ha- and Twitter. Get rid of them. I have both of those, but I just post on Instagram and then push those to t- Twitter and but Facebook. But never check Twitter and but Facebook. But I basically right. never check those. <laughs> it's too much work. I, yeah, I just don't know stressful. why. I just, yeah, I don't know why I don't vibe with it. Because I think that there's, look, all social media apps suck yeah. in a sense right mm-hmm. i mean in some ways it's good like i've connected with so many like illustrators Instagram, that but, i've never yeah. would have like connected with outside of um also flirting but um <laughs> i think with uh facebook and tw- and twitter it's just a it's become a platform for people to release their anger their and, un- and no nuance and no subtlety yeah. and no human there's mm-hmm. no human quality to it anymore. It's this is my opinion and anyone who goes against it will be vilified and destroyed. And it's like, okay, we've obviously yeah. made it very clear that the sharing of information has now become a, it's, it's not so much about like news articles. It's become you're either this or that. Right. And it's so combative. I, it just makes me feel really bad about myself and I, I mean, I had a lot. I had like fifty thousand followers. I was, you know, I thought I was making funny jokes, but I'm sure a lot of it wasn't. And uh, I just decided one day, I was like, "This is bringing me no happiness." Were you getting like, were people coming after you on that, or wait, fifty thousand? That's a while. lot. I mean, that's normal. Yeah. I think every once in a while, like yeah. I would post a comedy clip or something, and people would tell me why I'm wrong <laughs> and why you uh, should be canceled. Sure, right? Yeah. Oh, canceled? Who isn't? Who isn't canceled? But um. It just seemed to me seems like a platform that like people like my friend Nick is like, I only go on Facebook when I want to fight. And I was like, yeah, I think that's just what they are. And I not that Instagram's any better. I mean, there's I thought I am 
constantly flirting and saying, you know, like using it to validate myself. And it's mm. a lot of narcissism and like photos and looks. And I get it. I'm, I'm playing into something that's not good for me, mm. but I also don't feel as stressed out because I follow a lot of bakers, painters. Like, yeah. <laughs> I follow skyscraper pages. I get inspired like, by it for sure. I think it's, I, I could do a lot more. I could follow less hot men mm. and b- stop bringing myself to this place where I feel I don't look good enough or I'm not good enough for that. You know, I, I got that I could work on. But it's also, again, I've made so many different friends who are artists. Like my friend Joe and I became such good friends and we can draw together and talk together and different queer oh, artists. Oh, and, thanks, man. Oh, you're not, I'm Joe. I thought you were. No, no, man. Like, Joe, my <laughs> new friend, Joe. Like, but you, we can sit and draw with like, each other. My friend Joe and I, we just, we just bonded. So like, oh, I'm touched. But you know, but 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 it's like I don't get that on Twitter or Facebook. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. too stressful. All right. Can I ask one more question? Sure. I ask this to all comics about the comedy cellar. Um, oh yeah. How long did it take you before you passed the ST test and that whole process before you like the the act like how long till i started working at the cellar or like Until once you, i auditioned and how long what was the audition like and how oh. long did it take you to get to to the audition i got in so i got recommended through um was it rick because there was a controversy about the the, the cellar uh, that a comic wrote this article and blah blah anyways a discussion came up about gay comics and on the podcast and then everyone said my name so i got i got a message from sd through one of those comics saying can you come audition that's usually how it goes she'll email you if recommended by someone can you come audition this friday at like ten fifteen or whatever. So I had like four other spots. I canceled all of them. <laughs> and I brought my friend Sashir Zameda, who's a great comic. And she's we've been with each other for, we're, we were roommates for a long time and best friends. And so we, we just kind of, she was on SNL and I went with her to her first SNL. Like we're always with each other for something important. So she knew this was important. So I went to the cellar. I walk in it. Everyone sort of gives you the SD, you oh. know, what you have to say, what you have to do, whether this and that, blah, blah, blah. And they just sort of like build her up to be like, like if you do one wrong move, you're fucked kind of thing. And um, I walked up and I saw the comedy, the, the table, and I know all the comics there. So I walk up and I'm like, hi, ST, my name is Matei. I'm auditioning tonight. Like, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. Thank you. It's like, okay. So I went downstairs. <laughs> Seton Smith was hosting and I'm really good friends with Seton. So I thought I'll be comfortable if I watch Seton. I want to hear the audience. I just want to be downstairs. And so it was me, Seton, and Sashir in that little hallway. And Judy Gold was up before me. And, you know, Judy, she's screaming at everyone. Yeah. And she's killing, right? So I've actually thought, this is good. That she just, Judy just killed. She always kills. I'm like, she just killed. I'll try and use that energy. Mm-hmm. Seton's like, I'm going to bring you straight up. So Judy's coming off, Seton's going in, Essie's coming downstairs. She was in a cheetah print floral, like, blouse. She comes downstairs, and everyone's like, she's not going to talk to you. So I'm just standing there, and she stops, she gets downstairs, and right before she walks in the room, she looks at me, and she walked over, and she goes, did they show you how to get to the stage? (laughs) I said, they did. She goes, 
okay. And then she went in the back of the room. I thought, oh. You're a good storyteller, dude. Fuck that. You're really good at it. Like, tell oh. more. Tell yeah. more. Okay, so now, so now it's my turn. So now I'm nervous. And seeing this, a very funny guy performs all over the city. Welcome to Tao Lane. So I had this joke that I've been doing forever where I come out and I sing in my falsetto. I sing an opera song. I sing O Mio Babino Caro. Can you do a little of it now? Sure. No. It's not like, this is not... <laughs> This is not my natural singing voice, yeah, but yeah. I come up with no. a disclaimer. And then I say, everyone claps. Amazing. And I say, thank you. And I say, that's a true story of how it came out to my dad. And <laughs> that's funny. It, it's, it's like a, that's it's, great. It's a, it's a very fun joke. So yeah. that got a huge laugh. And right. then I felt, then all of a sudden I was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm just on I know stage what doing, I'm doing a show, yeah. right? Yeah. So I did basically my late night set from Seth Meyers. It just the hits. It's four yeah. minutes. I'm gonna watch Se- that. Seton lights me. I get off stage. Did you see Esty that whole time you were on stage? No, or you she's, didn't know she's she literally was? in the back. Like, no, and in I a love dark that. I love corner. that moment too, where you're like, okay, now I'm just on stage doing a show. When right. you, when you hit that groove and you're like, okay, I'm I'm over right. the terror. I'm like, okay, I'm just doing. I know yeah. now. I know what to do. Yeah. So then I'm waiting in the hall, and she walks right up to me. She gives me a big hug, and she said, very funny, very, very funny. And she right next to us was a picture of Mario Canton. She pointed at Mario Canton, and she goes, you remind me of Mario Canton. She goes, send me an email with dates and this and that. She told me how to do it, and then I had been booked ever since. Wow. She has never not booked me, knock on wood. And I've just had the best experience of the cell. The staff and the comics are a family. Yeah. I am like... This Great summer, venue. oh my god, it's amazing you're involved with that. That's like such a huge thing. I, I just that was they, a great fucking story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really they, good. they were, and you know, and I've really? become, I've become very close with like Liz who manages and Jose who works there and Esty. You know, I, yeah. I, I've become very close to Esty and Keith Robinson and I have become such good friends. It's like right. they, shout out Keith Robinson. Shout out Keith Rob. But they, the seller really has become a support system and a family. And I just love performing there and working there. And, and also, too, I think they get a lot of criticism by people who don't understand the seller. And, but I, I don't think I've ever been surrounded by more diverse lineups and more creative people and hard hitters and good joke writers and just like a really welcoming, warm, wonderful staff. I just love, love performing. There. It's my favorite place in the world to perform. Nice. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? I got into the cellar probably, I've been there almost four years now. Right. Maybe something like that. That's awesome. He's a baby. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Cool, man. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me on the show. I really really appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. was great. And he's 10 minutes late for his meeting. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Ehud. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.